1: Nick, you know how when you're a journalist, that tends to mean spending every morning clicking through about a dozen or so press releases just to clean out your inbox?
2: Yeah, like there's a guy who was an extra in Pirates of the Caribbean who I get an email about like once a month who's got his, got an opinion to share about
1: something. I feel like you should interview him. You should. You just consider it. And at least a few times a month, it's something like, we hope you're planning to cover National Diatomaceous Earth Day or National Clean Out Your Virtual Desktop Day.
2: Last week I got one that was like, "Hey, we know you know it's uh, National Peppermint Bark Day. Everybody so knows. Here's what you should be doing to cover it, and if we have these experts to talk about it, if you're interested."
1: And I'm always like, "Who came down from on high, and decided that it was National Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day?"
2: I'm gonna blame Big Bubble Wrap for that one. Bunch of Bubble Wrap moguls sitting on their bubble wrap thrones, <laughs> popping their product. <laughs>
1: I have looked into it. Uh, some of these micro holidays, a term that I stole from Atlantic writer Megan Garber, are manufactured by industries to sell things. You're right. Now, some are, to my mind, legitimate reminders that draw awareness to illness or social problems or important events. I'm I'm cool with that. And some are just nonsense that has made its way onto the internet, like National Walk Around Things Day. Is that real? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is it, I mean, what do you mean? Is it real? None of this is real. And I can only assume the point of National Walk Around Things Day is to celebrate the act of walking around things.
2: I had no idea you were so passionate about this.
1: <laughs> I think it's the arbitrariness. It's not grounded in anything. Or th- maybe the excuse for selling stuff also really bothers me. Or maybe, Nick, maybe five years of National French Dip Day press releases finally broke me.
2: You're going to forgive me, Hannah. But aren't all holidays made up? I mean, somebody at some point says, this is the special day, everybody. Take your kid to the doctor in a red wheelbarrow and eat some plums because it's William Carlos Williams Day.
1: You wait. You'll get a press release for that tomorrow. But I take your point. Yes, all holidays have to start somewhere. But some holidays really go somewhere. There are holidays that are far more significant, Far more real, if you will. So today, to cleanse the palate, Nick, we are going to talk about the holidays that rise all the way up to the powers that be who proclaim them to be real, who make them official. This is Civics 101. I'm Hannah McCarthy.
2: I'm Nick Capadice.
1: And today we are covering the 12, count them, only 12 federal holidays on the United States calendar.
2: There's only 12?
1: Only 12. Huh. And this is the how and the why of Becoming Official.
2: All right, and just to start, I want to clarify, calling something a national holiday does not make it a federal holiday.
1: Correct. Okay. In actual fact, the United States does not have national holidays the way that some other countries do.
2: Well, what do you mean?
1: Well, you can't have a national holiday in the United States because Congress does not have the constitutional authority to force the 50 states to observe a holiday. It only
3: applies to federal employees.
1: This is Jeff Bench, the author of History of American
3: Holidays. And in the early days, it only applied to federal employees in Washington, D.C. Shortly thereafter, it applied to all federal employees. And then uh, the banks usually take the day off. This is something I've always wondered. Is a bank holiday
2: the same thing as a federal holiday? Like, do banks somehow fall within the federal employee world because they're regulated by the Federal Reserve?
1: That is a great question. No, banks do not have to close on a federal holiday, but they usually do because they tend to follow the U.S. Federal Reserve calendar. Basically, it's hard to do business when the thing that regulates you takes the day off.
2: It seems like we all tend to follow that calendar, though. Like, every year we get a list of paid holidays from New Hampshire Public Radio. And I'm pretty sure it adds up to about 12.
3: Generally, once the federal government declares a holiday, then the states will tend to ratify it afterwards.
1: A state holiday is a day made official by state legislatures. And even on these days, with some exceptions from Massachusetts and Rhode Island, private employers are not required to give a paid day off. Sometimes even a state employer doesn't have to pay a state employee during that day off.
2: I feel like this is another tried and true example of how does the civics 101 topic work? And the answer is federalism.
1: Yeah, per usual, every state can do it differently. It's a state holiday today, meaning most of the government
0: offices will be closed. It's all in remembrance of the Bennington battle. Fought state through-
1: offices in both
0: Alabama and Mississippi are closed today for Confederate Memorial Day. And for our state, it is one of three Confederate- That related-
2: day is the best because everybody comes together, everybody enjoys themselves,
1: Today's a to... holiday in Rhode Island and only in Rhode
2: Island. It's victory day, a
3: state holiday that marks the end of World War II. A couple of holidays, you know, the states would resist it after the federal throughout history, you know, like Memorial Day for one, because it started after the Civil War and the, the southern states were not, not into it. <laughs> it took them a while. Actually, this
2: makes me think of New Hampshire in particular. I grew up when this argument was happening. Weren't we the last state in the union to make Martin Luther King Jr. Day a
1: holiday? New Hampshire is kind of tied with South Carolina. They made it a holiday in 1999 and under a good deal of protest in the legislature, I should add. South Carolina state law gave public employers the option of observing either MLK Day or one of three Confederate holidays. Now, that ended in the year 2000 when MLK Day became a compulsory holiday. But just for the record, Confederate holidays are still, albeit quite controversially, celebrated in several states in the U.S., including South Carolina.
2: Well, that's another prime example of federalism at work, I suppose. State legislatures can enshrine whatever date they want. I'm thinking, for example, those states that opt not to celebrate Columbus Day and celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day instead, right?
1: Yeah, and that's something that the federal government has also considered doing—replacing Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day—which gets to this practice that Jeff mentioned earlier, right? Of the federal government copying what a state does. So Labor Day is actually a great example of this.
3: Different labor unions wanted a holiday to celebrate labor and the eight-hour workday, and then the forty-hour work week. And after various uh, strikes and riots before then, different groups had created their own Labor Day.
1: Oregon was the first state to make Labor Day a legal holiday, and that was in 1887. There were 28 states celebrating Labor Day as a state holiday before Congress finally made it a federal holiday in 1894. And in a case like this, it is not like the federal government was a champion of laborers
3: or unions. It was the Pullman strike of 1894 that instigated Labor Day. And there the federal troops came in and that railroad strike was big and it it spanned many uh, other labor unions. But the federal troops came in and forced the workers back to work and arrested a bunch and all that kind of stuff. But then later on that year, the president, Cleveland, agreed to make a federal holiday, hoping to win back some of the votes he lost (laughs) by... uh, sending in the federal troops. So how does a federal holiday end up being signed
2: by a president? I mean, if it carries the force of law, does it work like a bill? Does it go through the legislative process and get signed by the president at the end?
1: Well, for one thing, presidents sign observations of holidays all the time. But that doesn't make a federal
3: holiday. You might get a a presidential proclamation or executive order that designates it as a holiday And usually that might only be for one time or for a short period. It's really not an official holiday until uh, it goes through Congress. It's just like any other law.
1: The most common argument against a federal holiday at the legislative level, by the way, ...is money. It costs millions of federal dollars to shut down offices but still pay employees for the day.
2: And this is another thing where it's like any other bill. It's, it's, a, it's an issue of funding. Right. So if all these holidays had to be established by law, that means that when the United States was established as a country, Thanksgiving, for example, was not a federal holiday.
3: There's the Act of 1870. There's uh four holidays, New Year's Day, Independence Day, Thanksgiving... And Christmas.
2: Hold on. 1870? So it was basically 100 years before we had any federal holidays at all.
1: Yeah. The 1870 Act was passed, quote, to correspond with similar laws of states around the district and in every state of the Union. Loads of states already had Thanksgiving state holidays, albeit on different days. President Lincoln made it the fourth Thursday in November, years before Congress made it a paid holiday for federal employees.
2: And real quick, I have to ask... I'm fairly sure Christmas is the only federal holiday that is explicitly a religious holiday, right? How is that legal? How can a law force the government to celebrate a religious holiday?
1: Yeah, I looked into this. There was no significant separation of church and state debate on that 1870 bill when it was in committee. But there has been some debate since it was passed. And one of the best answers I've got is that Christmas passes the lemon test.
2: The Lemon Test. You now have my attention.
1: Lemon v. Kurtzman, 1971. The Supreme Court establishes a three-pronged test for determining whether a statute is in violation of the Establishment Clause of the Constitution. The statute must have a secular legislative purpose. Its principal or primary effect must be one that neither promotes nor inhibits religion. And it must not foster, quote, excessive government entanglement with religion. Because there are three other holidays that are secular in that act, and because the passage of Christmas as a federal holiday in no way compels anybody to practice religion, it merely says the office is closed, Christmas passes.
4: It contains no religious classification or gerrymander. It is non-preferential. It employs essentially religious means to achieve essentially secular ends. Without any primary effect of advancing religion, inhibiting religion and i must refer you there to our brief on entanglement because we've had an inadequate opportunity to discuss the whole question of
3: entanglement and then uh, 1968 we had the uniform holiday act which sometimes the uniform monday holiday act so washington's birthday memorial day columbus day and veterans day were all Put on on Mondays.
1: And anybody who reads our fabulous newsletter will know that people were so mad that Veterans Day had been moved from November 11th that it was eventually switched back.
2: All right, I've got eight so far, four in the 1870s, four in the 1960s. What are the other four?
1: The next holiday to show up is a great example of what being a federal holiday actually means, because this holiday is only celebrated by employees in Washington, D.C., and only every four years any guesses yeah
2: (laughs) i but i didn't know this Uh, inauguration day is a federal holiday
1: yep as of 1957 then comes columbus day in 68 mlk junior day in 83 and finally the very recent juneteenth which was made a federal holiday in 2021 And like many others, that is a holiday that has been celebrated since before the federal government had established a single one. Now that it's finally recognized at the federal level, though, what does that mean for this long, hallowed holiday? I want to take a look at our most recently established federal holiday to ask what the pros and cons are of making something a federal holiday. I'll have the answer to that question after the break. There is so much I wanted to put in this episode that simply didn't fit. Like, for example, did you know that if you celebrated Christmas in Massachusetts in 1659, you would be fined five shillings? Oh,
2: yeah, those Puritans, they hated Christmas.
1: They called it fool's tide because there was so much eating and drinking and mocking of authority. And people would go around begging and would sometimes just burst into the homes of the wealthy as well. And speaking of holidays the Puritans were not a fan, just generally. They only took a few days off. They uh, took off for the Sabbath, election day, Harvard commencement day, and then there were the occasional fast and Thanksgiving days. Fast days were also called humiliation days.
2: Humiliation days. Well, who wouldn't want to be a Puritan, Hannah?
1: This is good stuff, right? So what do I do with it? Why, I put it in our delightful and fun newsletter, of course. That's where all of the stuff goes that does not make it into the episode, like the Isle of Lost trivia.
2: The Isle of Misfit trivia. It's called Extra Credit. You get it in your inbox every other Tuesday, and it is the best way to get the B-sides of Civics 101. It's also where we put important updates and announcements, and I swear it is very much not annoying.
1: Absolutely worthy of space in your inbox.
2: You can sign up by clicking subscribe to the newsletter at civics101podcast.org. When we're not lounging around in our slippers on a cushy paid holiday, we at the Civics 101 team are working our collective backsides off to make this show that we love. So if you love it too, and you're in the position to do so, please consider showing us some support. What with the law and all, uh, our public radio station pays us holiday or no. And you can help ensure that they're always going to do so by clicking the donate button at civics101podcast.org. Okay, back to the stuff that really matters.
1: All right, we're back. And now that we have covered what a federal holiday is and how it happens, I want to get into the nuance of the thing. What happens to a holiday when you make it federal? And to do that, we're looking at our most recent one.
4: So throughout history, Juneteenth has been known by many names. Jubilee Day, Freedom Day, Liberation Day, Emancipation Day. And today... A national holiday. So Juneteenth is a holiday that's been traditionally celebrated by African Americans um, honoring and celebrating what was considered the end of enslavement on June nineteenth, 1865.
1: This is Ann Bogus, longtime friend of the show and the executive director of the Black Heritage Trail of New Hampshire. Now, remember that date, June 19th, 1865, a date celebrating the end of enslavement. That is two years after the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863.
4: And it often surprises people that we still had enslaved people in the Americas, even after the Emancipation Proclamation, but it took the army actually marching into Galveston on June 19, 1865, and war then, you know, an additional war to officially enforce the Emancipation Act to free the enslaved people there.
2: Right. It wasn't as if Lincoln writes this proclamation and suddenly all enslavers freed their enslaved people.
1: And it isn't even that all enslaved people were made free in 1865. The exact date when
4: we could say that all enslaved people were free is not really known because there were pockets of resistance across the country. There's pockets of fighting, still um, enslaved people running away, self-emancipating themselves all throughout the Southern regions. We, we just don't know, but that June 19th was celebrated because we had hard evidence and hard facts of that order that came into Galveston from the federal government to enforce and to forcefully enforce the um, Emancipation Act.
1: When I reached out to Jerry ann to talk about Juneteenth, I knew that the Black Heritage Trail had held educational celebrations of the holiday for years. And I knew that she was present when New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu signed a law recognizing Juneteenth as a holiday. Though, importantly, Nick, not as a paid day off for state employees. Remember, I told you that a state doesn't necessarily pay their employees on these holidays. But I wanted to hear what it actually meant to her to Ann to have Juneteenth recognized at the federal level.
4: So I think everything comes with a double-edged sword. There's always two sides to any coin. I'm really glad that it's been publicly recognized and federally recognized as a holiday because it changes the narrative of American history. To say, you know, that all enslaved people were freed with the Emancipation Proclamation this federal acceptance of this june 19 creates that debunks that myth right it serves as a place for that dialogue for us to honestly look at what our history is not a sugar coating of our history but the reality of what it was and how that affects us today the other side of the coin as typical <laughs> typical american fashion that that's problematic and worrisome is that we'll turn it into a consumer event. You know, we'll have Juneteenth sales, you know, like Christmas sales. It'll just be another, another marketing opportunity rather than an understanding. of what the holiday is.
2: Yeah, and this makes me mad. This is a personal grudge of mine, and it makes me think of Labor Day in particular. Labor Day is ostensibly a day to commemorate American workers and their long struggle for protections and wages. But for most people, it is now just an end of summer holiday and a great time to get a deal on a
1: car. And Jerrion pointed out that even the celebration of Juneteenth has the potential to lose the thread to miss the whole point of remembering the emancipation of America's enslaved.
4: There's a celebratory feel to it because we are celebrating. But African-Americans are not out of the woods in our country. Racism is still strong, still intact, still affects every segment of our systems. So I think that knowledge needs to be also acknowledged that it's not the mint julep celebration right it is a realization a looking at what's really going on in the country so this is this is one of those things where you don't want to critique good folks who are trying to do good things but end up doing bad things you know because of a misunderstanding I think we have to really think about how we celebrate it and what it means. I think an event with just white folks doing African-American things doesn't feel genuine.
1: So, for example, when a community jumps at the opportunity to celebrate Juneteenth, this holiday the federal government has finally said is worthy of recognition. The question is, how are they really celebrating it and with whom? Yeah, I I think some some communities hurriedly pulled together something to
4: celebrate Juneteenth. Right. And it was like, oh, my God. And, you know, I think I have to put everything in, in its context, too. You know, our last two years with the pandemic, you know, with the the Joy Floyd murder case, our communities were really aware of their lack of diversity, their lack of action. So I think there was this push to understand or do something quickly to say, oh no, our community is not racist. Oh no, that wouldn't happen in our, in our town. Oh no, we need to figure this out. And, and that frenzy created these events without thought.
1: I want to reiterate, Ann is not disappointed that Juneteenth has been made a federal holiday. I asked her if it was a net positive, and she said, yes, of course. The point is, really, is Juneteenth going to be just another day off in some states? Okay, for example, Nick, do you actually stop to give thanks on Thanksgiving?
2: I try, but I sometimes fail.
1: Do you mourn the deaths of hundreds of thousands of U.S. soldiers on Memorial Day? Do you think Americans, 50 years from now, are going to reflect on our history of enslavement and how it has haunted our society and laws every Juneteenth. I
4: think time will tell just what America will make of this federal holiday. I think that may scare some people to say that Juneteenth may be more celebrated than July 4th, you know, because July 4th is problematic when we think of, you know, a whole percent huge percentage of people being enslaved while we're celebrating July 4th. Whereas June 19th, we're looking at a bigger picture, a more inclusive picture in what I'll put it in quotes, freedom is. You know, I'm just really glad that it's there. And I you know, have big hopes for this the celebration in really allowing people to create a different narrative of what America is.
2: It's interesting to think of federal holidays as an opportunity. Even if a federal holiday in practice does not apply to the entire nation, giving an idea or an event federal recognition at the federal level, it's symbolic. It says that the U.S. government agrees that something is worthy of observance. Juneteenth was not made a federal holiday because the government thought everybody needed another day off or that like sock companies needed the excuse to make Juneteenth socks.
1: Which you can buy at Walmart, by the way. They do already exist, which is exactly the slippery slope Jerry Ann was talking about. Because you're right, Nick, when the federal government creates a federal holiday, that is a political statement. And it gives states and communities the chance to make statements of their own in the way they choose to celebrate, both Juneteenth and every holiday.
3: One
2: last thing, Hannah. Go for it. I looked it up during the break, and guess what today
1: is? Uh, As we're taping this episode, it is December 4th.
2: Yes, yes, but guess what that means? I don't want to. It's National Sock Day. Like, for real.
1: I have to go. And in a case like this, it is not like the federal government was championing, how do you say that word? Championing, right? Yeah, championing. Was championing. It was not like the federal government was championing labor's, so it's really hard, championing, championing?
2: Yeah, or it's just like a champion, of. will Okay.
1: This episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with Nick Capodice. Our staff includes Christina Phillips and Jackie Fulton. Rebecca Lavoie is our executive producer. Music in this episode by Young Carts, Petro Sheens, Mello C, Martin Schalekins, Ketza, Breakmaster Cylinder, and Audio Binger. You can find this and all other episodes at our website, civics101podcast.org. And if you're looking for more, albeit significantly quieter, civics lessons, you can check out the book that Nick and I wrote. It's called A User's Guide to Democracy. How America Works, and it was illustrated by the very wonderful New Yorker cartoonist Tom Toro. Civics 101 is a production of NHPR, New Hampshire Public Radio.